welcome to episode 149 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Episode, what episode is it, Jumbo? 149 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good. How are your stocks in Nivea this week? Actually, pretty good, uh, mate. After yeah. last week? Yeah. Well, you know what? You keep talking. You, you, do, the, you do the sponsors. <laughs> I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com for the world's best coffee. And, uh, and the Baltimore basher, Dave Hopkins. The Baltimore basher. I think you named him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Great name. Uh... High five on Facebook here must rank up as one of the top of Iron Man Talk Lore, or I am Talk Lore, guaranteed for the best of no 2009. Who thought anyone could match peeing on the bike? Oh, no. Hey, thanks, Baltimore Basher. Nice work. Th- that's all I'm going to say. And I am Talk is also brought to you by Tribuys.com. Oh, and just buy some stuff. And of course, as always, coffeesofhawaii.com. And then after you bought your stuff and you're looking hot, you can have a coffee. So this week's show, it's a little bit of a different show this week. We've got an interview coming up, but before we do, we're going to do a little bit of news, and we've got a question at the end, I think. Yep. And uh, But we have Bob Babbitt. Bob Babbitt's on the show. So if you listen to Competitor Radio over the years, or if you're watching the Ironman coverage, he's the guy, the main guy on Competitor Radio and also one of the main guys on the Ironman coverage each year. So he's a bit of a, a triathlon anorak. He knows everything about the sport. Well, he's been around day one. He's the guy who actually did the 25-year anniversary book. Mm. They've updated it now, haven't they? 30th mm. year. And uh, he's just got so much insight, and he's great. So. But probably the main reason we, we wanted to get him on the show today is we've uh, we've teamed up with uh, the Challenge Challenge Athletes, Athletes Foundation yep. as our the enemy, our sort of official charity, and uh, we're going to help them out as much as we can because we think it's a great cause, and we have been looking at doing something like that for some time. So you can hear about, hear more about that with Bob. Okay, so before we get into that, we've got our news. So first of all, Israel Man. What's all this about, Jombo? Israel Man was on last week, and I managed to offend most Israelis, I think, by not being quite <laughs> sure what language they speak or, or write in in Israel. We did get a few emails about that, John. I, did, I, th- I, I thought it might have been Arabic, um, but apparently it's not. It's Hebrew for anybody yes. who knows. And apparently you don't want to get that one wrong. No. No. So, uh, I don't know you anymore. I'll, I'll take that back. <laughs> My address is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, they had the Israel man on at the weekend. It's uh, one of the tenth year. Tenth year. Nice. Some of the pictures. I mean, I saw a couple of pictures. Look absolutely spectacular. But this year's race was really dominated by a sandstorm. It sounded absolutely brutal. A guy called Conrad Van Elman won the race, uh, and he was to nine fifty four, and he was about half an hour in front of second place. Nice. But he, he, this guy's done uh, lots of Ironmans all around the world and done 20 of them. And he said, including the Hawaii Ironman, this, Six is, times. this is by far the craziest, hardest conditions he's ever had to go through. So They're saying 100k wind gusts. Yeah, that's full on. 100. You'd be flowing for your bike, wouldn't you? He would be. His, uh, and then in second place, we had uh, Israel's law, Zach Mayo, in second, and Vadim Suraviev. You've done pretty good with the names there, mate. I'll give you a high five for that. And I don't see any results there 
of any females. So we'll try to get some of those um, up. Well, the, the conditions were so bad that halfway through the afternoon, they actually got everyone off their bike and made them run. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, it looked beautiful. We had a quote there from, from an Israeli uh, saying, the weather here is never like this. This place is known for gorgeous weather, but not today. Wow. Okay, and, and then we also had I'm in Malaysia. And the conditions there... Quite the opposite, seemed to be not quite as brutal as normal. Go, we want a bit of track, athlete tracker there, Bevan. Oh, well, no, we can probably pull it up from here because I have it down the bottom. Okay, you keep talking. So, anyway, I'm I'm in Malaysia, was on at the weekend, uh, and yeah, conditions didn't sound quite as brutal. It's it's still sounded incredibly hot, but not quite as hot as it normally does. Uh, and uh, Rhodesy, we'd, we'd sort of picked him to, to do well. He's two-time winner of the yep. race. Experience here. Uh, but he couldn't quite quite reel it in. He was really in a, in a tussle with Luke McKenzie all the way through. Really? Were, I don't know much about the race. So Yeah, they were sort of going going shoulder to shoulder for quite a lot of the, the, the ride. And then on the, the run, Luke McKenzie just sort of managed to pull out a little lead. And it stayed like that. And I, I came online a couple of times to check. And it just, just staying about that one to two minutes for ages. And then he managed to just pull away a little bit at the end. Not a bad time there, 8 hours 26.48 for Ironman Malaysia. I haven't checked to see if that's a course record, but I'd say it'd be pretty close up yep. there. It's usually brutally slow on, on the um Brian the Fuller, I've never heard of him before. Haven't heard of him. I think he might be... Um, I think he might be an American guy. Okay. Um, and then Rhodesie. So Rhodesie was second, 8.32. Brian Fuller, third, 8.38. Fourth, we had... Uh, a Hiriki Nishimishi <laughs> and then old uh, the, the big, big man the big man Peter Vabrusik in 5th place and the girl side of things it was a Granger domination yeah, she did well didn't she she killed them on the bike I think she had around about a 20 minute lead coming off the bike really so really really dominant display the pre-race favourite 22 was, minute lead 22 so wow. it's a big lead yeah um, Erica Chomo, um, she she pulled out. She was she was well down, um, but she was riding her way through through the pack. But uh, she, I think she must have just been struggling too much with the heat, so she she pulled out. So really coming off the bike, Belinda Granger, she needed to to get through the death march, and uh, and she did. And eight and, and nine twenty one is is a pretty solid time again in those conditions. Mm. And Nicole Leader had a really good run to to run her way up to to second place. In third place. Third place, thanks, Bevan. Well, um, you got to say top Mickey three. Nishimuchi. Hey, that's the same surname as the fellow who got fourth. I Maybe wonder if they're. I uh, think they are. Yeah. And a nice little payday for them. Yeah. And then uh, my little German girl, Christine Weitz. <laughs> well, that's who I stayed with in Germany. <laughs> that sounds even worse. Oh, wow. No, lovely, lovely girl. She finished in fifth place in her first Ironman race as a professional athlete. He's a married man. Um, I'm Man New Zealand. It's a big weekend, John. It is a big weekend. <laughs> we had a bit of a pause, and we yeah, you had to be here. Technical difficulties. Uh, it's a uh, it's a very good field. I'm, I'm I'm quite excited about this weekend. Sometimes it, it really is the Cameron Brown show, but this year I think he's got quite a few contenders. But I think a lot of those contenders are sort of those maybe athletes. They're, they're not quite. You're not proven yet. No. Yeah, yeah. So the number one seed uh, is going to be Cameron Brown, six time winner. Six-time winner. Yep. I'm putting money on him to take number seven. 
Uh, oh, you are? Yeah, inside word on on the streets when I was uh, away at the weekend saying he's in very... Back it up, back it up. Let's do some name talking here, mate. We'll Big Jombo. We'll do that at the end. Oh, well, they want to know. Okay, so there's a few yeah, a few of the coaches and athletes from the Auckland area are saying Brownie's on fire. Really? And uh, a couple of weeks ago that people were also saying that, that Kieran Doe was on fire, but I heard on the news yesterday that uh, he has pulled out. And was there a reason why he has pulled out? No reason given at this stage. Mm. So that, that would have been added a really interesting dimension to the race if he'd been in good form. Well, if Brownie's in good form, Bazzoni's the only one... Bazone. How do you say his uh, last name? Bazone. Bazone. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, good, yeah, okay. But anyway, Bazone is... Uh, I think it's Bazzoni. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Bazzoni is the only real contender if Brownie's on fire. I think so. Yeah, because you got Bayless. Bayless is awesome, and yep. you know who knows he could pull something off magical. But he'd have to have a totally magical day if Brownie was on fire. Yeah, who else have we got here? Yeah, perhaps the only other one I think that could be um, a real contender is Jan Raphael, and apparently he's on fire as well. So he's a German guy. He's won. It's either Florida or um, Brazil. I think it's Florida. He's won that before. But again, I heard uh, rumours from people close to this, close to the sources, that he is on fire as well. So. I think those are going to be the guys that are going to be challenging Brown. You're going to have It's Teresa. a pity Doe's not going to be there, isn't it? Because he does throw that, you know, madman on the bike thing in, into the equation, doesn't he? And if he's not there, I'm not sure if other guys would go crazy on the bike. Yeah, because you know, Cameron's just got to mark people, really. Yeah. Uh, and if Kieran is, is eight minutes, nine minutes up the road, he's got to start really considering... Especially if someone like, you know, Bizzoni goes with him. Yeah, you know? so I think that, that really is a shame. It takes down element of the race, but I think, so I'd say Cameron's a favourite, and, and rightly so. Torenzo is really an unknown package. If He's, he's got the goods to, to absolutely kill it, but who knows if he, oh, if he will. Man, that'd be awesome. Stephen Bayless is a good, consistent performer, and yep. I would expect him to be second. And he said last year was a big breakthrough year for him, so... Mm. So who knows? He, he might step up and, yeah. and do it. Um, of the other guys uh, racing... Paul Westwood. Paul Westwood, watch out for him. Watch out for Paul Westwood. I, I think I mean, we've got um, Richard Usher. I think he's going to do some big things, but I don't think he's going to be in for the win. Do you think he pulled off a top five? I definitely think he pulled off a top five. I okay. wouldn't even be surprised if he pulled off a top three, but I don't think he's got it, got it in it to, to win. Yep. Uh, you've also got Mark Schwetzen, who won uh, Challenge Wanak the year before, Duncan Milne. Uh, so you've got some, some good second-tier athletes there that I think are going to have a good battle. Another one, profiled, um, isn't it? Yeah, another one to look out for is Benjamin Rossman, and he's staying with uh, Brett Whiteley here in Christchurch. And he, he, I think in his first Ironman last year or, or in Austria, I think he ran a 2.42. Wow, so he's not too shabby. He's not too shabby, and uh, apparently he's improved a bit since then. So he could be some, someone who might run through the field a bit. We haven't really kind of brought this up much, but it's the 25th year, which it is, is pretty great, eh? It's the oldest equal, I think, after Kona, I think. Uh, Ironman Japan and Canada I think are the other two old ones so yep. it's been around a long time most of you know, the first few years were held in Auckland for probably through till around about the early 90s and then uh, it moved down to Taupo and it's been uh, going strong ever since mm, so good men's field good luck on the girls side I think it's not a very big field and let's have a look but at it it is quality yeah quality quality, quality. Uh, again I think this could be a really interesting day because you know everybody's talking about the Joanna Lawn versus Gina Ferguson oh, you've got there and you've got Bella there and Bella beat both those girls in Kona this year so uh, I think she could Bella has not raced well at Ironman New Zealand in the past so why do you think that is? It's early season, and she takes a while to get going. And, uh, yeah, it's probably not, I don't know, she just, just hasn't. Yep. So I think that that could be a really interesting... Charlotte um, Paul. Charlotte Paul's in there, and she's a sub-9-hour athlete, so she should be riding amongst it. Celia Kirch. Celia Kirch. She probably won't be in contention. No. But, um, and Elizabeth Christensen, though, on her day, she's, she's a 
quality athlete as well. Okay, so you, you're going Brownie. Yeah, well, give me a top three for the men. Uh, I'll go Cameron Brown, Jan Raphael, and Stephen Bayless. So Torrenzo's not going to do it. If, 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 if I was gambling, I'd say no. Okay. I think he could could fail. You like a bit of a gamble, don't you? Yeah, but I think uh, yeah, I, I, he's one of those guys. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes there and he does a course record. Yeah. But, um, I wouldn't be surprised. But you're not going to put your face. house on it. No, I'm not going to put my house. Okay. On it. Girl side. Girl your top side. three. I'm going Gina Ferguson, and then oh, back it up. I'm not backing either guy. Back it up. Oh my golly gosh. <laughs> Joe Lawn. You're picking it to beat Joe. Joe Lawn's going down. Oh. So Gene first, Joe Lawn second, and I will go. Joe Lawn's won it six times as well. I know. Uh, Experience has got to count for something here, John. It does. It counts for second. <laughs> and I think probably Ballard third. Really? So, so uh, you think this Gene is big breakthrough race? Well, one thing that's going to impact things a little bit is, uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I got told, actually we'll check this out right now, uh, go race information, Bevan. Race information. Uh, race week schedule. Race week schedule. Here right, we go. Go to Saturday. I'm going to go to Saturday. Saturday the 7th of March. Yes. Yes, uh, this information was correct. Who told it to me? I can't quite remember. There's a head start for the elites. That's right. So the elites are starting at 6.45. The all age groups start at 7 o'clock. Andrew Black told me about that. Uh, He's lost some weight then, Andrew Black. <laughs> Man, Andrew Black's a local triathlete. He was always a bit of... He wasn't you know, overweight or anything, but he was always a solid guy. So I'm walking down the street the other day. He's got skinnier arms than I do. Yeah. He's, he must have lost about 10 kg. And he's lost a bit of weight. Yeah, man. I was, couldn't believe it. I didn't recognise him at first. So that, oh, that is going to be... That, that is going to be... Interesting. To Gina's advantage. And, uh, and yeah. against Bella. And against... Um, Joe. Probably Joe. Joe probably will come out with Gina now. But it won't create that big group. And often you see Gina when she's racing. She is often isolated by herself. And so I think Joe will be isolated to a large extent as well. So I think that's swings things. I have to admit, I have done this race before, and Joe often has been drafting legally, but been pulled through with a group. You know, yeah. she find a draft pack. I remember the year when I did it, and Monica got out of the water ahead of everyone. Yeah. And I passed her, and she was just all by herself. And then Joe came past with a group of guys. And yeah. So I think. Um, Although I think in 15 minutes, top age group guys will catch the girls pretty quick, won't they? On the bike. Not, not the pro girl, not the elite girls. No, yeah, no definitely not. Because, so I think that that's going to be really good, and I think it'll allow uh, Gina to keep a, a better eye on what's going on if Joe does get away from her. But apparently, Gina's biking's going really well. So uh, I think it's, that swings things in Gina's favour. But and yeah, it is bad for Bella though because she, yeah. she will be off the back. Yeah, well so, off the back because she won't have anyone to draft with. She might have a few other girls to go, with, but she won't have anybody rollicking through, sort of uh, dragging her up. So. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting, and uh, I think it's good on them. It makes it for a fair race. Bella has done a fifty somewhere, hasn't she? Remember she, she went has, but but um, but both Gina and and uh, and Joe. Joe are good swimmers, and they'll be able to hang on to the, yep. the second pack probably. Yep. So it's going to be in- interesting, interesting week, uh, interesting weekend for us down in New Zealand. I mean, you're making some big predictions here, mate. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Won't yeah, be the Cam go. and Joe show. It won't be to be Cam and Gina show. 25 years. If you're doing the race this weekend, good luck. You know, we know we've got lots of listeners doing it. It's obviously, if it's your first one, you know, just get out there and enjoy the day and hopefully you get good weather. Mm-hmm. And if you've been there a few times before, you know, go for your PBs and bring it on, you know, like. Oh, it's all starting to begin now, John, isn't it? I'm in season for Oh, we have stuff to talk about again. <laughs> <laughs> Rightio, dis- we're not going to do a discussion of the week? No, we're going to save that for next week. Okay, because you didn't do your piece, basically. Eh? Wow, and also we're, we're already at about <laughs> You didn't know five. that when you did your preparation, <laughs> but did you? I was preparing. <laughs> oh, whatever. Rightio, so we're going to put our... Oh, I'll put some music on. Here's, here's some music. You do want your music.
<laughs> we were both kind of sucking the ear and get ready for an intro, and we didn't really need an intro. No, so Bob Abbott's up now. We'll give him a little intro um, once we actually start the recording. And uh, yeah, good long stuff talking about Challenged Athletes Foundation, which we're, we're now going to be involved with, and uh, and also some good triathlon history. So listen up. Good times. Okay, we're really happy on this week's show to have uh, a man a lot of you guys will a legend. Have, a legend will mm. have seen and heard a lot of, if you, um, especially North American athletes and also anybody who watches the Kona coverage will uh, see the, the voice of uh, the coverage on the day, Bob Babbitt. So welcome along to the show, Bob. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. It's always nice to be on with you. And that must be a, bit, a little bit different for you, though. You're normally sort of on the other side of the desk doing the interviewing. Have you done many interviews yourself over the years in terms of yeah. you being asked the questions? Yeah, uh, yeah. For, on the sport of triathlon, we spent a lot of years promoting the sport of triathlon and getting you know local newspapers and national newspapers and national uh, other national media to sit up and take notice. Plus, you know, we have our Muddy Buddy series and Challenge Athletes Foundation. So, yeah, talk to a, talk to a lot of folks. Um, and, and hopefully gave them good information. Well, you brought up a good point there. The Challenge Athletes Foundation is one of the, the main reasons we wanted to get you on the show today because uh, the old ballistic hammer, Bobby Bostick, nice. ballistic <laughs> hammer. has uh, helped us out in, in hooking up with the Challenge Athletes Foundation. We did want to get him behind a charity. We've been thinking about it for a while, and it sort of fits what we're doing really well, we think. So you're one of the men behind uh, setting this, this foundation up some time ago. So... Bobby told right. us a pretty cool story about how it all, not cool, but I mean, it's an it's a interesting story on how this all started. So do you want to give us a bit of background sure. on how the foundation started? Yeah, we, um, there was a, an athlete by the name of Jim McLaren, who was a football player at Yale University in the States here, and he was a 300-pound guy taking acting lessons in uh, New York during the summer, and he was going to class on his motorcycle, and one day he was hit by a New York City bus while going to class, and thrown 90 feet in the air, and you know they chalked his body on the on the oh, really? They thought he was dead, dead on arrival at the hospital. And uh, fortunately, he lived, and he lo- lost his lower leg in the uh, in the accident. Besides having you know ribs and internal injuries and all sorts of stuff like that. So, out of it, what came out of it was a 300-pound guy with one leg reinventing himself. And, and what he did is he, he decided he was going to get into endurance sports and started getting in the running and, and got his weight down, like he went from 300 pounds to sub 200 pounds. Wow. And, and he ran a 316 marathon and went 10 hours and 42 minutes in Kona at the Ironman and really changed perceptions about what somebody with a prosthetic could accomplish, especially when you think back, guys, to late 80s. The type of prosthetics we're talking about were not, a, not that much ahead of Captain Hook. I mean, this was really... <laughs> This is really prehistoric times. I mean, what they have now, what Oscar Pistorius is running on, and what these guys were running on, uh, you can't even compare them. Yeah. So for Jimmy, he, uh, he became the Babe Ruth of amputee athletes. He was a guy who pushed the limits, and he, didn't want to, he wasn't out there you know, wanting people to pat him on the head and go, you know, hey, way to be out here uh, and, and just uh, participating. He wanted to kick ass, yeah. and that's what he did. Yeah. I mean, he finished the top 20% of everybody racing. So he was, uh, Jimmy was, was a force. And I started covering him in 88, 89, and 90 when he was doing the Bud Light USTS, United States Triathlon Series, here in the States. And Jim was a celebrity. I and mean, he was sponsored by Bud Light. He traveled to the races. And people, the news media was all interested because here was this amputee guy doing things that no one thought he, anybody with an amputation could do. And then in 93, 
Jimmy was racing here at a uh, race called the Orange County Performing Arts Center Triathlon, which was a huge race. Dave Scott and Greg Welch and all the big names would do that event. And he was on the bike, uh, and a van went through a closed intersection and while during the bike ride. And a guy who was already an amputee, his van hit the back of his bike, propelled him headfirst into a pole, and he became a quadriplegic. Oh, man. And through, the, through Competitor Magazine, which I've been producing since, you know, since the earth was cooling, uh, I'd worked with a lot, of, uh, a lot of wheelchair athletes. That was something that, that, that seeing athletes who wanted to participate in endurance sports, and all they needed was a piece of equipment to do it, and I met Jim Knob, who was a five-time winner of Boston, and, and we did features on him. So when Jimmy was hurt, when McLaren was hurt, um, I knew that from talking to other disabled athletes, that the first thing that happens is all of a sudden you're 29, 30 years old, you're an independent person, and here come your parents back in your life to carry you around and yeah. lift you up and drive you places, and you have no sense of self, no sense of an identity. So myself... Jeffrey Asaka, who I'd worked with, uh, he was with the Reebok Tinley Company, or at the Tinley Company at the time, and Rick Kozlowski was a local race director. The three of us decided we are going to put on a half Ironman as a fundraiser for Jimmy to buy him a vehicle that he could drive with his hands so he'd have some semblance of independence. Yeah. And year one, we, our goal was 25000 We raised 48000 nice. and bought Jimmy that vehicle. And we had a couple of amputee athletes come up to us there and tell us how Jimmy had been influential in their life and had been the person that got them to understand that they could do anything, that there was no reason they couldn't get out there and be an athlete even after losing a limb. And we realized that there were a lot of folks out there who needed that help. So helping Jimmy led us to creating the Challenged Athletes Foundation, and the goal was to help athletes stay in the game of life through a piece of equipment. Uh, you know, a hand cycle is 2500 bucks, and with that hand cycle, you change somebody's life for the better. So since then, we've raised over $19 million. $19 million? $19 million to buy prosthetics, wheelchairs, and hand cycles. And people like Bobby Bostic have been incredibly influential in making that happen. I mean, Bobby's our biggest fundraiser in history. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a wonderful ride. A number of athletes, I think, we've impacted both uh, challenged athletes and you know what what our athletes provide is inspiration. How's it and, for you um, personally? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like it's obviously it's pretty cool. You know, nineteen million dollars is just phenomenal amount of fundraising. How do you? What's, what do you get from that yourself? Because obviously you're helping out a lot of people. You must get so much satisfaction. You know, it's for for myself. It's if there was uh, anything that I'm proudest of, uh, it's it's what we've what we've accomplished. That we've that the people who might be sitting inside thinking that they're second-class citizens. Here's a really good story. Last night on, on our radio show, I had um, one arm Willie Stewart, yep. who lost his arm in the Watergate building in 1980. And this is a guy who was about to go off on a, you know, he was a, a undefeated wrestler, was going to get a scholarship in college for wrestling, and great football player and rugby player. He goes, Bob, I went from an elite athlete to a third-class citizen in about a minute. You know, at, back then, if you were disabled, you were, you know, you were looked upon as, oh, what, what's, the, what's wrong with that guy? Mm. You were sort of ostracized. And now I feel that when people meet a Rudy Garcia Tolson or a one-arm Willie or uh, a Sarah Reinertson, who was the first uh, single above-knee amputee woman to finish Ironman, they don't look at these folks as, as handicapped. They look at them as empowered. 
And if they can accomplish something with that challenge, why can't Jim get off the couch, Jim, Jim Johnson get off the couch, and rather than saying, oh, my back hurts a little bit, get out there and participate in life. And we, you guys all know, when you get out there and ride, run, and swim, you feel better about yourself. You're a better parent. You're a better employee. You're, you're better at everything you do. And you make everybody around you better. And if, that, if people can be inspired through our athletes, then that's a gift that we weren't even thinking about. Wow, that's great. Is uh, the original fellow Jimmy still, still rolling in, in triathlon? Uh, Jim McLaren is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He's doing a lot of public speaking when he's healthy. One of the problems with being a quadriplegic is you're always sitting on your bottom, and you know, you're, you're prone to infections, you're prone to bladder problems, and Jimmy has had a lot of struggles with physical, with physical issues for, you know, from the very beginning, but especially in the last couple of years. I think he broke his femur about a year ago. Oh, really? <laughs> very fragile, um, and it's, 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 it's a very, very tough life. Uh, for him, a triathlon is getting up in the morning and, you know, going to the bathroom, brushing his teeth, doing the things that you and I, yeah. that we yeah. take for granted. That's a triathlon. That's yeah. a two-and-a-half, three-hour experience to get out the door. Wow. Hey, um, so, you know, obviously we were, we were quite keen to you know, support you guys. So how do people actually go about in getting involved in Challenge, Challenge Athletes, and what can they do to, you know, to get involved? You know, if they go to our, the website, challengedathletes.org, we've got so many different programs. We've got Operation Rebound is a program we have to help our soldiers coming back uh, injured from Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. We have Catch a Rising Star, which is, helps our, our young kids who, who need help. The thing that people don't understand sometimes is that even with our health care system, if, if I have an amputation, I'll get a walking around leg. But what I won't get is a leg for sport because they look at sport as a luxury item. Where we know sport is a necessity of life, it's, it's a luxury item according to your insurance companies. So, and I don't know how it works in New Zealand, but over here, that's, that's the way it is. And like for our soldiers, they'll get the equipment they need from the government, but you're talking 18, 19, 20-year-old guys yeah. and gals who yeah. their, their whole self, sense of self is their physicality. They're like 20 years old, and they were a rock, and now they're missing both legs. Mm. They need someone to mentor them. They need someone to say to them, what do you like to do? What sport might make sense? Kayaking? Cool. Let's fly one-armed Willie out here and have him teach you how to kayak. Let's, let's get you to a clinic to learn how to run. It's supplying whatever our folks need from a mentoring perspective to a, um, uh, being a mentor, getting them the equipment they need, getting them travel expenses. Athletes want to go to the Paralympics. We want to help them get there and so that they're treated the same as any other athlete. As an example, this past year for the Paralympics in Beijing, the Paralympic swimming team uh, from the U.S. trained at the Olympic Training Center for a year and a half. That's the first time anything like that has happened. Wow. So those guys were treated exactly the same as our Olympians, which is exactly the way it should be. Yeah. And that's, all, that's really part and parcel of what we do. Race for a Reason is if you're racing an Ironman, you can go through our Race for a Reason program and raise money for Challenge Athlete Foundation while you're doing your Ironman or half Ironman or whatever you happen to be doing. So all that's up on the challengeathletes.org site. Any way people want to help, we're, we're there to, to facilitate and make it simple. 
And in terms of um, athletes, you know, if people do know athletes out there who might be suitable for this, is this mainly just a US program or is it, um, you know, in terms of actually applying for grants to, to get going or is it a, a sort of a global plan? You know what, we have plant people from all over the, all over the world. We, in fact, the movie that uh, was produced a number of years ago on this young man from Ghana, Emmanuel Ofosu Yaboa, who needed a, who was looking for a bicycle, and this is a young man who had a birth defect so that his, is missing the tibia. So really when he rode a bike, he rode with one leg. He wrote us a grant request from Ghana, found us through a missionary, and we sent him a bike and his world turned upside down. Now he's hoping to run for parliament in his country. And this beautiful beautiful movie was narrated by Oprah Winfrey. And, um, you know, that's just one of the athletes we've helped internationally. But yeah, we help athletes all over the globe. And it's not, even though we're triathletes and we started with the triathlon bent, uh, we buy rugby chairs. We buy uh, mono skis for for downhill skiers. We buy uh, for water skis for for athletes. So whatever people need, whatever sport they want to get into, we've got the connection to help them out. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to be um, you know, involved with challenge athletes on an ongoing basis now, and also especially in Kona this year. So. If you guys want to get involved, just go to challengeathletes.org um, and we'll also be doing a few bits and bobs along the way as well. So, Bob, it's, that's fantastic, all the stuff you've been doing. We, we also Thank wanted, you. wanted to... Well, we've got you on the show. We've got a legend on the show. We're going to ask you lots of random questions as well. Oh, sure, good. <laughs> we, know, we know you did Ironman um, back Early in the 80s. 1980s. We know the first one was obviously 78, uh, so it must right. be about the second or third one. I Third mean, year, um, yeah. what, what was it like back then? I mean, f- when you compare it, compare it to now, what, what was it like? We, we, had, we had no clue. <laughs> what I tell people all the time is, you know, and I, I was rooming with a guy named Ned Overend in San Diego, and Ned ended up becoming the world mountain bike champion. But we're talking about mountain bikes hadn't been created yet. <laughs> now, we're, talking, we're talking so prehistoric. When uh, Ned and I was a school teacher, and Ned was actually working at a motorcycle place, uh, San Diego Suzuki, and he was working on amphibious vehicles. So if a duck hunter was out in a in this thing called a scrambler that had six wheels and sort of tr- tank type tracks on it, if they were out and they got caught in a bog, they would call and Ned would go out there and basically dig these things out of the mush. And this is the guy who went on to become the world mountain bike champion. He didn't have a sport. So Ned and I lived together in San Diego, and we read about this thing called the Ironman. And, you know, it was in Sports Illustrated, and we read about it. And the guy who won the race was a San Diegan named uh, Tom Warren. He had won the race in 79, and he owned a tavern in Pacific Beach, California, called Tug's Tavern. And ironically, he used to put on a uh, swim-run-swim event down there, that Ned and I did. In fact, I'm looking at a photo right now of Ned and I standing uh, out in front of Tug's Tavern after doing this. It was a half-mile swim around a pier, a five-mile run on the beach, and then another half-mile swim. And for both of us, we're sort of runner types. So the key was, if we didn't catch the real swimmers by halfway back from the pier, you knew that when you got back in the water, they are basically going to swim over your ass and dunk you and kill you the rest of the way in. And the, the thing about the Tugs event, the top 75 people out of the water, and actually out of the water and you ran through the chute right up to the restaurant, the first 75 got breakfast. Uh, you finished that <laughs> nice. on, 
got absolutely nothing. So the key was to run through the finish line and sprint up there and be standing with your plate of really crappy eggs and tortillas before the 76th and 77th guys got there so that you could, you know, bragging rights. I got breakfast, you got nothing. So Ned and I are standing there with our tugs glass and our breakfast. Um, I'm just like looking at the photo right now. And then after that, uh, we read about Tommy winning this Ironman thing. So we figured, you know, who else, who better to ask? So we tracked him down because there was nothing. I mean, you guys talk about how much wattage, uh, what, yeah. you know, how many calories to take per hour. We, we seriously, we had no clue. I mean, when we first started thinking about this thing, I figured, and we had buddies tell us, guys, people on a bicycle don't average more than you know, 10, 12 miles an hour. The yeah. bike ride is going to take you 10 hours. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, if it's going to take 10 hours, then I'm just going to camp. So I'll do the swim. <laughs> I'll ride the bike and then I'll camp and ride back the next day and do the run. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to ride in the middle of the night. So I actually had panniers and tent and sleeping bag on my bike. I mean, that's, that's what we were ready to do. So, and the bikes we got, cause we, we had no money. We were as a school teacher and Ned was fixing stupid amphibious vehicles. We, I, we went to a police auction and got bikes and mine had been in a fire. So the whole back end was charred and I had the uh, fuzzy raccoon seat cover and the foam grips on the handlebars, plus the Radio Shack radio on the front that was bungee corded on so I could listen to music, solid rubber tires because I had no idea how to change a flat, and um, we were ready to rock and roll. And I was wearing, you know, I was wearing shorts with a belt and a long sleeve shirt with a pocket sewn on the back so that, because uh, you had no aid stations back then. You brought your own crew. And as a school teacher, one of the kids I taught, her dad happened to live over in Oahu. And this was before the event went to Kona. We were in Oahu. And so he brought two girlfriends out to be my crew, and they had a little Fiat convertible. And I piled about, you know, 80 loaves of Hawaiian sweetbread in the, uh, in the Fiat along with bottles of Gatorade because we had no idea what you were supposed to eat or drink. So it was, it was an adventure. We really had no clue what we were, what we were doing so, uh, you know, Ned and I go over. Actually, the funny part is when we first met Tom Warren, we called him up and, you know, Pacific Beach is, you know, it's, there's, a, um, there, there's a little strandway next to the pier, and Tommy is like, hey, Babbitt, why don't you meet me at my office? So we, you know, we drive down, and, you know, and he said, my office is on the west side of the street right near the pier, and the west side of the street's a parking lot. So we get there, and I'm looking around, and I just see this motorhome with uh, paddle boards on the top and bikes on the back and running shoes tied around the side view mirror. And I sort of put my head in, and I hear this, oh, Babbitt, Tom Warren, welcome to my office. <laughs> and so that was, he did his business. He had, like, rolls of dimes that he would keep in his, in his uh, that he kept in his, on his dashboard. And he has a phone behind him, and he'd make business calls. And in between... He'd go and ride his bike 40 miles to Oceanside, or he'd run five miles to the, this, this jetty every day, and then he'd go swim, and he lived out of this freaking motorhome. And uh, that, was, you know, that was our entree to how do you train for this? Well, what he did is he did three hours a day in a sauna on his bike. So if that's what he was going to do, I guess that's what we were going to do. And in terms of... Uh, in terms of nutrition, you know, you sort of have to figure it out. He did, he didn't. He had a crew, and you know, you just you do whatever it takes to get through this thing. So we really were going in a little bit blind, and we because we were rock climbers, the only helmets we had for the bike ride, we had rock climbing helmets that have, don't have holes in them. 
And so we'd go out for a 10, 12 mile bike ride and feel like our head was going to explode. Like, how do these people do this? This helmets are way too hot. And then when we went swimming, we had a, a 120 length to the mile pool uh, at our condo that we lived yeah. in. And, right. you know, it, basically you'd be dizzy the entire day after doing this. Somebody jumped into the pool like a tsunami. So it was, uh, it, it was an experience. And we got over there to do the race. And the race was supposed to be the Waikiki Roughwater Swim, which is what it had been in 78 and 79. And then in 80, it was supposed to be Waikiki Roughwater Swim again. ABC, having seen the article in Sports Illustrated, called John Collins, the, the race director, and said, um, John, we'd like to come and you know, cover this uh, event. And, but we've got you know, cliff diving on. We've got cliff diving that we're there to cover on Sunday, and your event's scheduled for Saturday. So you know, we know the year before you had to move the event because of storms. Uh, if you have to move the event, we won't be able to film your event. So, and actually, this, this uh, guy, Hank, had taken over from John, and so he got this opportunity from ABC, and he was like, and we had huge storms. We had the team, the, team, the group meeting with 108 of us uh, two days before the event. The waves were breaking eight feet up on this wall of the hotel. And Ned and I, of course, were petrified. We're going, we're going to die. If they do this race at the Waikiki Roughwater Swim, I mean, we're standing there on the second floor of this, third floor of this hotel, looking out at these waves, breaking a few feet underneath us. And we're like, oh, we're going to freaking die. There's no way we're going to be able to do this. So this guy, Hank, calls this meeting to let everybody know that, you know what, to guarantee that this race happens on Saturday, I'm moving the swim from the Waikiki Roughwater Swim to Alamoana Channel just because I need this event to happen on Saturday. I can't move it to Sunday because of the storms. And Dave Scott and Rick Kozlowski and all the Navy SEALs who were there were like, what a pussy event. You can't move the swim. Of course, Ned and I were like, yeah, what a pussy event. You can't move it. Meanwhile, we're thinking we're going to freaking live. This is is the best thing ever. So we, uh, uh, they moved the event to Alamoana channel and you swam four lengths of Alamoana channel. And, as I'm swimming, I'm thinking, this is, I'm doing this Ironman thing. I cannot believe that I'm actually doing this thing. And I swam down, and I'm swimming back for my first lap, and I almost run into this guy named John Huckabee, the, whose nickname was the Incredible Huck. He was 59 years old. He'd run the Athens Marathon three times in one day, back to back to back. And that was his claim to fame, but the problem was the guy couldn't swim. So he was walking the 2.4-mile swim in the shallow water and sort of moving his arms like he was swimming. And he's the only, only guy in Ironman history to get blisters on his feet during the swim portion <laughs> of the Ironman. So anyways, we, we get out of the water and my crew is there and I have to wait. Remember, this is, you know, they're not blocking anything off. There was a shower and there was a guy and his kid in the shower when I came out of the water. And so I waited for the guy and his kid to get out of the shower and then I went and, you know, did the shower and my crew was ready to follow him in got on the bike, I'm tuning my radio in as I'm riding through Waikiki, and the, uh, uh, my crew meets me about mile 25, and I'm thinking, this is so cool, I'm listening to tunes, I'm riding through Waikiki, I've got my, my Jack Purcell tennis shoes on, and my shorts with the belt, and my, my, my shirt with the pocket sewn on the back, and uh, my crew stands on the side of the road, looks like Tour de France, they're going to hand off some food, and 
They give me a Big Mac fries and a Coke <laughs> at mile 25. I got a root beer snow cone at mile 80, and it was, it was all good, man. It was, it was an adventure. We didn't know what we were getting into. And I think that's what Ned's, actually Ned's girlfriend, who became his wife, she didn't catch him till mile 80 of the bike, and he was drinking out of a sprinkler on the side of the road by the time she caught so, And then we, we, oh, yeah, so we had a, yeah, he was not very excited about that. We also had to get weighed throughout the day. If you lost 5% of your body weight, they would yank you out of the race. I don't know where they came up with the science on that, but uh, they did. So um, when I finished the bike, um, I actually heard some, when I came around the corner at the uh, Alamoana Tower where the bike finished, I, I sort of remember hearing this music, and I come around, and there's my crew, and they've got a bamboo mat laid out, and they've got a boom box, and they're like, how about a massage? And I'm like, whew, that sounds good. So I had about a 45-minute massage. Like, <laughs> laid down, got a really nice massage, and then got up, and I'm you know, sort of walking through town, and I go to one of the way stations, and you know, I'm eating Hawaiian sweet bread, and I'm drinking Gatorade, and come up to the next way station, and I can hear the guy in the walkie-talkie, and he's like, uh, Jim, can you give me that again? That can't be right. He's gained four pounds. <laughs> Oh, it was uh, it was one of those things though. When I got to mile twenty or so, and we're running over Diamond Head, and my crew is behind me in their Fiat convertible, lighting up the road, and I'm thinking I'm going to finish this thing all in one day. This is this is really cool. And as I'm coming down Diamond Head, I start to think about the fact that you know, okay, we're coming to the finish. There's going to be a brass band. There's going to be you know, there's there's going to be all sorts of cheerleaders. It's going to be an exciting deal. We just finished this this amazing event that really only 30 people had tried before that day, mm. and only 24 had finished. And I was going to be part of a, you know, really, if you think about it, I was going to be one of the first 100 to finish this race in history. I'm like, this is, I'm really proud of this. This would be cool. And I come down into um, into the park, and I sort of see a chalk line on the road, and there's a light bulb hanging overhead, and I hear this voice out in the darkness to the right, and the guy's like, uh, hey, you. I'm like, yeah. You in the race? Yeah. You're done. <laughs> and that was it. It was like two guys doing one-arm push-ups in the park, and that was it. But, you know, it, it didn't matter. You know, it was one of those things that I knew from doing that that it was like it gave me this business card that I would keep in my pocket forever, that if anything got tough in life, that I knew that I could get through it because I got through this Ironman thing and had no clue what I was getting into. Did, you know, I didn't, didn't train. I had a, a bicycle that had been in a fire. I uh, had no thought of doing the thing all one day. had never done <laughs> a marathon before. So it, was, you know, it made you realize that Ironman back then was an adventure. And it's changed in, in a number of ways, but uh, number one is for some people it's still an adventure, but the fact that in, in other Ironman races, but Kona is it, obviously the distances, <laughs> the distances and the, the conditions make it an adventure for everybody. I mean, a lot of times pros blow up and don't finish, yeah. but for the most part, people go in with a plan and they have an idea of what they need to do to hit their goal time. And we had no clue. We really didn't. It was, we, I felt a little bit like Columbus. I was out there sort of exploring to see what, what my body could handle and what, uh, and what it would mean to actually finish it. So as soon as I finished that, I knew 
that this sport was special, that this sport would change, you know, it would change lives. It was that type of thing. It was that type of an accomplishment. Did you go on? Sorry to go on so long. How long, how many more Ironmans did you go on to do in the last sort of I did, uh, years? did five more, did, five, did the next five uh, over in Kona. Um, so I did one Oahu and five on Kona. Uh, my best time ever was like 11.39. My first one, I think, was you know, just under 15 hours. Nice. Um, you know, and it was just one of those things that it, I just loved it. I just loved it. I was working, you know, I was still teaching school, and the guy who uh, took a photograph of Ned and I at that, that shows you how everything works full circle. The guy who took that first photo of Ned and I at Tugs, he ended up starting a magazine called Running News, and I named Mike Plant. I started working for Mike, and, you know, sort of writing for him. He liked, I, I started creating some characters for the newspaper called, uh, you know, the old fart of the month and the <laughs> Reverend Campagnola minister triathlism and sort of <laughs> fell in love with the sport of triathlon and, and had him, he eventually made the magazine Running in Triathlon News. And Running in Triathlon News, when that went out of business, we launched Competitor in 87 with a focus on the sport of triathlon, as well as running and cycling and mountain biking, because I felt it all went together. And there's been this wonderful melding of endurance sports that uh, you know continues to this day. So, so much has happened with Ironman, you know, since that kind of time of the sport. What do you think about what's happened, and where do you see the sport right now in this moment in time? I think I think the sport is well, one on fire. Obviously, it's funny. I had. Uh, six of the kids who are on the USA triathlon, um, you know, their, their team, yep. they're out here training at the Olympic Training Center here in San Diego right now. Jared Schumacher and Ethan Brown, a lot of these 23 to 25 year old kids who are hopefully going to be representing the U.S. in, in London and then in, in, in 2016. And, uh, you know, the question I had for them, this, you know, this is a very Ironman centric world right now when it comes yeah. to sport of triathlon. The Olympic distance, in some parts of the world where the Olympics are, you know, everything is important. But for the most part, I said to these guys, okay, when you sit down on a plane and you're talking to somebody and they find out you're a professional triathlon, is the first question they ask, have you done Ironman in Kona? And he says, every one of them was like, absolutely, every single one. And then when we tell them, well, what distance you do? We say, well, we swim a mile and ride 25 and then run six. Every one of them goes, oh, I can do that. <laughs> What's a big deal? That's no big deal. So there's, there's sort of this lack of understanding that to go, you know, to run five-minute pace off the bike is a little bit of a workout. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody wants to be an Ironman. And so people who probably should be starting with shorter distances – and working on their speed, just feel this this magnet pull that they they got into this event, the sport, because of watching the Ironman on television. If it was Dick and Rick, if it was Mark and Dave, if it was Paula, if it was Julie Moss, or yeah, quite frankly, if it was uh, Ricky James from this year, there was something that motivated them to want to get in the sport of triathlon, and the holy grail for them was the Ironman, and that's. You know that's where it's at right now. People want to do the Ironman, and what's nice is that with the seventy point three, the half Ironman distance, with the explosion there. I mean, there's a lot of folks who can. You know, you we can fake a half Ironman. Mm -hmm. We can fake a six hour day. Okay, thirteen miles. You know, maybe it's going to take me on a, on a bad day. It's going to take somebody two and a half hours. I'm going to have a tough day. 
But they're, you know, they're not going to need a light stick. They're not going to be out there all day. They don't have to dump their family to go do seven-hour bike rides. You, know, you, you can get by doing three-hour bike rides. It's, it's more sane for folks to focus on that half Ironman distance rather than Ironman distance. But both of them are, you know, I don't see that going away anytime soon because the Ironman's a holy grail. If you're a triathlete and you haven't done Ironman, it's, it's one of those things that you sit there and go, oh, my God, you know, I, uh, everybody asks me. The number one question they ask is, when are you going to do the Ironman? So, you know, you, then, unfortunately, you know, positive or negative, that's the reality of triathlon right now. If, if you are a pro, and even if you're an age grouper, that's the number one question you're going to get. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, in, in New Zealand, we certainly, the short course guys still get a lot of coverage. But uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. With Hamish and those guys, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Cameron certainly gets a bit of coverage too, so that's interesting times. I guess one of the things right. that has happened recently is with WTC being um, bought out by a venture capital group. And, uh-huh. I mean, do you see this as a positive move or a negative move? What are you, what's looking in? I, I look at, well, and our company was bought by a private equity firm as well, and I look at it as a real positive from a couple of perspectives. One is, the fact that a, a huge private equity firm is or a, um, uh, is interested in uh, interested in our sport that's, that's similar to when Bud Light and Coca Cola got involved with triathlon. It means they're looking at the demographics of our sport and going, "This suits our investment strategy." Rather than these are a bunch of geeks running in speedos. You know, rather than who are these idiots running in Speedos and why would anybody invest in them? Because you think about it, I mean, the biggest Ironman event is what, 2,500 people? Yeah. It's, it's not a gigantic cross-section. But when you add them all together and you think about the millions of people who want to do an Ironman, and then you add in the half Ironman folks, you know, we, we look at, we have um, a, a group called you know, Gen A Media and Marketing for our, for our company out here. You know, be, be, this was before we became the competitor group. And that was all of our regional publications around the country. And the way we divide, define the Gen A marketplace is there's 40 million people in the U.S. who work out, um, 40 million people who work out 100 days a year, right? Gosh. You know, one out of every three days. So that is, a, that's, they, they go for a swim, they go to the gym, and that's not, you know, that's, I don't think that's, that's not inflating any numbers. That's, that's, that's research. Mm-hmm. So 100 days a year, people are working out, and there's 40 million. That's a huge cross-section. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge change from what, uh, you know, obviously we've got childhood obesity to deal with, but you've also got a lot of adults who are understanding the need for fitness. Well, and that's a part and parcel of that is watching something like the Ironman on TV. That's certainly impacted a lot of people getting into the sport. And when you're talking about a cross-section like that, that's when your private equity firms and your big sponsors or big clients want to be involved. And, you know, the worst thing that can happen, you look at mountain biking right now. Mountain biking came in the Olympics in 96, and they thought, oh, my God, the Holy Grail, we're in the Olympics. We can just start printing money now. Well, the sport's falling off the face of the earth. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't have that panache that Ironman does and the triathlon does. And here's an interesting story. We have a, a group, we have a lot of events here in the winter that are what I call pool triathlons. Three-mile run, 10-mile bike ride, and then a 100-yard swim at the pool at the end. And basically, you jump into the pool and you swim down and duck under the lane line. And, you know, basically, you swim like five, four or five lengths of the pool yeah. and or widths of the pool. 
and then you're done. Well, we're, uh, we're standing at this event, and, and what's great is these are events away from the ocean. So these are in the mid part. This is in Redlands and Riverside and sort of outside your, your hub of what you would think would be Trothlonville. And they're in December, January, February when, you, you know, it's a little, you know, your unit shrinks if you go in the ocean anyway. So you really don't <laughs> want to be out there. So you have these events. You have these events in the winter, and... I'm standing there at the Tinsel Triathlon in Hemet, California, in December, and they're they're doing the award ceremony. There's a guy standing in front of me with his bike with the high bars, his belly hanging out. He's wearing his bike shorts. He's with his wife, and the announcer's going, "Uh, you know, guys, this afternoon the Iron Man is going to be on NBC television. You should watch it. It's a great show. If you haven't seen it before, you really enjoy it." And this guy standing in front of us with, you know, his belly hanging out and then his bike shorts and his bike with the high bars. His wife goes, honey, what's the Iron Man? And he didn't hesitate for a second. He goes, same thing I just did a little longer. Okay. Okay. In his mind, if Tim DeBoom or Peter Reed walked up to him right then, if he identified him, which he probably wouldn't, he would go, hey, guys, we're both triathletes. I did something a little shorter, but we're both triathletes. That doesn't happen if you're a duathlete. You know what I mean? That's the cross-section. People, it's sexy to be a triathlete. Everybody wants to get wet. You could have a slip and slide. You put people in a hose for four minutes, and they're going, I did a triathlon. People want to be triathletes because eventually they want to be Ironman. And it starts with thinking about seeing it on television, reading about it, hearing about it. And when you get private equity firms investing huge amounts of bank in something like the Ironman, They've got a commitment to promote the crap out of that, that event and that concept and that sport. And what happens next, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and everybody benefits. I mean, from my perspective, there's no downside when you get huge corporations involved in our sport. Can, can you see, I mean, um, obviously they'll be looking after the, the dollars and cents side of things. Can you see conditions yep. improving for, for the pros who at the moment, you know, apart from the top small handful, right. a lot of them are really struggling, the Ironman athletes? You know what's interesting, and, and I, it, I think the, the hard part is, if you're a race director, you're looking at your dollars and cents and going, okay, I could bring, and we're facing the same thing in running. You know, it, you look at it and you go, okay, the people who are, who's paying the freight? The age groupers paying the freight. And so you've got your pro field, and you're putting out X amount of money for your pros because you sort of want the push and pull. You want your media guys to understand that there's a pro side of this, and you know Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and you know they were the predecessors, and now it's uh, you know now it's Chris McCormick and Craig Alexander. We've got these guys are special athletes, but you know we've got two things going, and one is the race director's going, okay, I'm putting out this prize money. Now I've got to fly these guys in, I've got to put them up, I've got to schlep them around. My age groupers are paying, and I'm not doing a thing for them besides setting up the race. So what am I getting from the pros? I think the pros have to look, look at the game right now and go, what are we providing besides uh, racing? Are we coming in and doing clinics? Are we making ourselves available? Are we providing value by calling up the local media and letting them know we're coming and letting them know our story? Are they enhancing the event? You know, that we see that a lot where a pro calls up a race director two days before a race and goes, hey, I want a comp entry. Yeah. And the race director going, what benefit are you bringing me now? I wasn't able to use your name to promote. You know, you, you, it doesn't mean no good 
having you here. Yeah, maybe my media guys are going to come. You know, they're not going to come because you're here, unless you're Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, or you know, Mark Allen or Dave Scott or Craig. So if you're sort of a, a second tier pro or even a you know an Ironman champion who they don't know, uh, the media is not going to flock because of that. The thing is, our people, our our athletes are still under the radar. Uh, Craig Alexander could walk into the San Diego Union Tribune here in San Diego, and I don't know if one or two people would recognize him. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy in the world, great athlete, phenomenal talent. You know, Chris McCormick. Uh, Chris McCormick is a little different because the guy understands how to talk to media and create controversy. And the, the thing is, and the, what's great about that, if you think about it, media uh, covers in our country. They cover sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, to a certain degree. The, the bigger, those are the big four. And, you know, tennis, when the time is right, obviously golf has moved way up because of Tiger. Anything else, it's sort of as a, you know, if we've got room, if it makes sense, if there's a compelling story. So a lot of times your compelling story, if you watch the Iron Man TV show, is your compelling story Ricky James, who's doing Iron Man after being injured in a motocross accident, or is your story Craig Alexander? Yeah. You know, or in some cases it's both, but can people at home relate to the parents whose son has been paralyzed and want to have their son still be vibrant and alive and be participating in life? I mean, do, do people relate more to a Luke Van Leerd from Belgium or do they relate to a Dick and Rick Hoyt, a father who would do anything for his son? Yeah. So what's the media going to gravitate to is their story. So if you're a pro, you need to figure out what the hook is. It's funny, we had a long conversation with Greg Bennett the other day, and you know, we talked about how iron-centric the world is, and you know, we, that's, that's a problem that he faces. It's, he is going to try to win this, this uh, Toyota Cup, which is you know, winning, having the best record in New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, Dallas, and um, L.A. all in the same year. One year he won all of them all five of them, but he's won the last three. I mean, that's a hell of an accomplishment. But do you think the Australian uh, newspapers, do they know more about Chris McCormick and Craig Alexander because they won the Ironman, which is a bigger, or do they know about, um, you know, do they know about uh, Craig Craig Bennett, you know, being consistent and winning the Toyota Cup? Now, what he's doing, the speed he has to race at for that shorter distance is is really is impressive, but is, is, where is the media going to go when they're looking for stories to sell newspapers? What are people going to relate to it? I still feel that if we look at the most pivotal moment in Ironman history, it was great that Dave Scott won the Ironman in 1980, uh, first time we were on, and you know, it was the first Sports Illustrated coverage in 79. 80, Dave Scott won the Ironman on ABC Wild World of Sports. But still, people watching at home, Dave Scott looked like he was out for a stroll. You know, he breaks the tape and goes for a jog and goes out to lunch. You know, there wasn't anything, even though he, you know, great, great accomplishment, it wasn't great television. Following year, John Howard wins. That's a great story. Well, then the next year, what happens? This freckle-faced gal from California is leading, and Julie Moss collapses within walking distance of the finish, and people watching at home are watching this gal who looks like your next-door neighbor who 
wants this finish, even though she's not going to win anymore and there's no money, she's crawling and pooing herself <laughs> and then collapsing on the finish line with a smile on her face. And then the show ends. So people at home, one, think she's dead. <laughs> two, wonder what the hell meant so much of this girl that she will crawl and poo herself to get there. And three, why is she smiling? <laughs> so when this all came down, and then they went off the air, right? So this, the, the, um, the phones at Wild World of Sports lit up like, like Christmas. People want to know, what the, is this girl alive or dead? They had a fly, Julie and Kathleen McCartney, who happened to win the race, and people sort of forgot that. They had to fly them back to New York to the ABC studios the next weekend to be in studio with the host to basically assure people that this gal was okay. <laughs> and that put the sport on the map. And the reason it put the sport on the map, and if you look at the, you know, if you ask the average person to name the events that got them into the sport for that, for most of the 80s, it was Julie Moss. Yeah. Then it was Mark and Dave, and then it was Dick and Rick Hoyt. Yeah. And for some, it was, you know, Jim Howley, the guy with AIDS who, who finished the race. And for some, it was John McClain and David Bailey and Carlos Maleta. But it was sort of those other stories that touched people because more people could relate to him. Devin, so was, a, Devin was a Rick and Dick Hoyt man. Yep, I was indeed. So. See, and then, and then what happens, and this, is, this always cracks me up, people get into the sport because of that. Then they start bagging on the Ironman coverage because they focus on those stories. <laughs> they go, oh, God, why do they need to cover the race? Why don't they cover the race? They, I don't want any more people with cancer and people missing a limb. Tell me the, tell me the race. I want to know what happened blow by blow. And they forget that Ironman, to a certain degree, is the PR arm for the entire sport of triathlon. Yeah. And that television show showcases the best in human spirit. And when, when, forget about the fact that it's an Ironman-specific show. It's a triathlon-specific show. And people end up doing that pool triathlon because they saw the Ironman on television. And, you know, it's easy to sort of become a triathlete and forget that, you know, we're not very special. Okay, if you want to be a basketball player, you need to be 6'7". You've got to have amazing skill. If you want to be a baseball player, you have to be able to, you know, hit a ball moving 100 miles an hour. If you want to be a triathlete, you have, you, your background is wearing arm floaties as a kid, having a paper route, and playing capture the flag, okay? You didn't need any big skill set to be a triathlete. If you swim, bike, and run a few times a week, you'll get better. It's not brain surgery. So, you know, we sort of have to get past ourselves and understand the purpose of that NBC show is to showcase humanity, showcase people using the sport of triathlon to change their life and impact people at home who will get off the couch because they saw that. And watching, you know, watching uh, Luke Van Leer going 804 doesn't move the needle for the average guy. They think of him as a pituitary freak and something they can't relate to but they can relate to Dick and Rick. They'll relate to a guy who will do anything for his son. And I mean, I guess these days as well, if, if people do want to see the, 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 you know, the coverage of the stars, you guys take care of that with your live that's, coverage. We do that. Day, we so. do blow by blow all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is now with the web, we're able to do that. But, you know, it's still, you know, for years, people would bag on the show and, and sort of forget how they got into it. I ask people all the time when they, come up and say, oh, I watch NBC shows, just more people and, you know, more people with disability. I'm like, hey, 
What got you in Iron Man? Oh, I saw Dick and Rick Hoyt, man. That changed my life. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. That got you into the sport. Get your snob factor and go put it where the sun don't shine <laughs> and understand what the purpose of the show is. Understand what that show means for this sport. And understand that without that show, Iron Man doesn't get bought by a uh, private equity firm. And triathlon isn't in the Olympics. And triathlon isn't at the place that it's at right now. Well, Bob, we know you've probably got to get back to your uh, your job. <laughs> and, Do I have a job? I don't know. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> people, people think I have a job, but no, no, I just fake it, and we just we just sit here all day. It's, it's been a lot of fun. But we'd love to get you back on the show because we know you've got so many stories. And um, yeah, and hopefully Anytime. we might see you, and well, we'll hopefully see you over in Canada this year. We're going to be there. And again, for the guys that um, if you want to get involved with challenged athletes, you go challengedathletes.org. There's many different ways to do that too. So, and if you want to hear hear more about Bob, you listen to Competitor Radio if you're in the states, or you can get the Competitor Radio podcast. Podcasts yep. and um, yeah, competitorradio.com. Check yeah. it out. Got a lot of great stuff up there. Oh, I think we're over 300 interviews up there now. What? Nice. Um, with just with your radio show, what's yeah. the deal with that? That's just in, in Southern California, or can well, it's live in Southern Cal. It's live in Southern Cal on Double X 1090 uh, every Sunday night from eight to ten. And then, um, then we get it up on our um, on competitor radio, and then up on iTunes. Yep. We don't put every interview up on iTunes, so we tell people to check out the competitor radio site. But um, usually, we put one or one or two a week up on the uh, on the iTunes uh, site, and then we on the competitor radio. We've you know we, we might uh, like last night. I had two long interviews. We might we'll have both of those up on on the competitor radio site. And there's stuff with Lance going back to. You know, we first started covering Lance when he was a 15-year-old tubby triathlete, and uh, we've got interviews with him from early 90s and when he was going through cancer, when we didn't know if he was going to live or die, and uh, just some of my favorite sound bites of all time are are with Lance and with people talking about meeting Lance for the first time and, and what a freak that kid was. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, there's uh, just to show you how dull I am when I'm looking to, when when I'm looking for things to do, I'll just go and listen to an old Lance interview and Lance's interviews were. Lance, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and Paul Neve Frazier were the only interviews we all back then. We did everything on reel-to-reel tape, and those are the ones I kept in the safe deposit box because we <laughs> knew those guys were going to be that those were going to be valuable and be special. And all those are up on uh, competitorradio.com. So I would highly recommend any of the Mark Allen interviews just because the guy is so incredibly insightful, and when he takes you through his 1995 comeback win over Thomas Hellriegel. It's like you're there. Yeah. He takes you into the lava fields, and it's, it's pretty special. Cool. Oh, thanks again, Bob, and um, yeah. we'll catch up with you sometime soon. Bring it on. Thanks, boys. Cool, Take thanks, mate. Sweet. Questions and answers. Glad we... Uh, we, we don't slag off the Ironman coverage at all. We're a bit, no, you know, no, never. We wouldn't do that. No, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you. I was laughing when you said well, that. Well, I didn't get inspired by any of those, no, you those sort of stories. Yep, no, so, I mean, uh, yep, yep. But did it bring I'll, up a good point? He did. I to, you know, so, you know, it, does, it does get people into the sport. I'll be reminding you again when we watch that coverage. If you start going, oh, I don't mind it. I, get, I do get kind of caught up by it. Yeah. You know, it's your who sits there all venting up. <laughs> Go, show me the pros. We'll be there this year, won't we? That's we'll right. We'll live. be following the pros. Have you sorted out a media pass? That's no, your I job. Yeah. You, need, you need to do that. Yeah. I'm going to give you that job because okay. you're the responsible one. Yeah. Hi there. Great show. Who's this from? Whoa, John. 
Ingmar Eriksson. I will do my first Ironman in Taupo on March the 7th. I live in Monaco and have been did the... Bannockburn Gutbuster. Okay, mountain bike race in November and a challenge one is bike leg in January to warm up for the big day in Taupo. During the warm up for the mountain bike race, my heart rate was 145 on the warm up and normally it would be more, maybe 120 to 130 at the most. I thought my body was ill, so I biked like an old lady not to cause any injuries to my body. Warming up uh, for the bike leg in Challenge Wanaka, the same thing, heart rate was high riding from the start and my plan regarding heart rate effort just went out the window. I felt fine so tried to ignore the heart rate but turns out that I went way too slow in the first 90k and could not catch up what I had lost and I gave my transponder to the runner and and I was fine form just wishing that I had gone a little harder because I was not tired. Basically my question is my heart rate will be is my should my heart rate be higher because of the adrenaline before a race and how can I calculate in this when I'm actually thinking about my racing? When it comes to Ironman uh, this weekend in Taupo, just oh. good, good luck for that. Oh, you a bit jealous? Is it, you get a bit nostalgic, a bit sad? Belinda asked me that question quite a bit, and I, and I don't, be, um, because I know I'm not in shape to race. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really have that. You can't really, and you know what, because I think people think, you know, you could just turn up and do it. I could turn up probably for 10 hour. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. but not much more. Yeah. So and it's just yeah. If I was in top shape and I was injured or something, then I'd be really jealous. Yeah, but um, because you didn't no, focus on it's, it. It's it's a big process, the whole journey to get there. Okay, John. So you get a bit excited before the event. Your heart rates up. Well, I think for for Ironman, I think you, you probably won't have such a big problem because uh, you know you generally don't do much of a warm up for the swim. You either just go for a little jog just to to ease the nerves and a, and a little bit of a swim warm up. And I and I would encourage a swim warm up for most people, especially if swimming is a weakness uh, and you're worried about getting bashed around or your breathing going funny. You like to do a bit of a jog too, don't you, before you swim? Yeah, just a, just a short jog, just to ease the nerves a bit. So I think by the time you get on the bike, um, your heart rate's probably going to settle a lot more. You won't have that nervous issues you've had when you've been doing these sort of single discipline sports or, or going straight into biking or running. So I think you can um, not worry about that too much. I guess the main thing you're going to have with heart rate elevation on, on the bike is uh, when you come out of the swim and you're jumping on the bike, your heart rate will be a bit higher just because you've had the, the long run from the swim and uh, and sort of rushing through transition and jumping on, and it will be a bit higher. So I would encourage you to, to work on getting that down. The, the other issue with, with Taupo is it has got a few hills early on and there's packs and stuff forming, and it is very easy to go too hard. Uh, so I think you just probably give yourself about a maybe a, a 10 beat above what your... 10 to 15 beats above what you normally train at. You, what your average heart rate for the day is is you're expecting to be. So, if, say your steady zone, which we talked about those heart rates. Oh, John, are, you've led into this well, haven't you? Say your steady zone is say 125 to 140. I think if your heart rate sort of got up into the high 140s, um, you'd still be fine, and just work on getting that back down. Uh, but once you're, you know. In Taupo especially, once you're above that sort of first climb and sort of through the industrial area and once you get onto that main, uh, is it Broad- Broadlands Road or whatever it's uh, called? Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Whatever the main road is, which takes you out to turn around. By the time you get there, your heart rate should have settled, but that'll probably take about half an hour. So I'd say if you're 10 to 15 beats max above what your average heart rate for the day is going to be, you should be okay, and that's allowing for a little bit of excitement there. Um, but but just just keep an eye on it. I've always found that my heart rate is higher when I've used the watch in the race. But I found that that's where you really want to think about training to feel. So you want to use your heart rate monitor when you're actually training, and to learn to the feel of your body at certain intensities. And so let's say you're going to be in your steady zone. What does that feel like on your bike? Because I found when I've done racing, my heart rate is always a little bit higher. And if you were going to be really religious to that, that would be detrimental to your race. Well, this is where you've got to you've got to match in. You, if you do your sport 
sports science testing or your maximum heart rate testing, you have a look at those numbers there, and it's crucial that you wear your heart rate monitor when you do uh, your other races, if you're going to use it on race day. And then you look at your sports science data, you look at what you sort of get in training, and look at what you can actually sustain in your warm-up races, and you should be able to get a fairly good idea of um, what you can sustain. But yeah, adrenaline's going to keep your heart rate up. Um, and just the fact that you tape it, it's a lot easier to get your heart rate up. So it's okay to go, go for a little bit higher, but um, once you sort of get off that main stretch in Taupo, then you should be working on getting it down a little bit. And also use a bit of common sense. So if you're actually kind of going out there and, and it is 15 beats higher, but you actually feel like you're working hard, you yeah. know, you actually drop it back because you may not actually be higher from excitement. And so you also need to kind of use a bit of common sense with the feel of your body. Eh? Mm. Mm. If you're puffing and panting, it's highly likely you're going far too hard in an Ironman. Yeah. Especially like in the first hundred meters of the swim, mm. you're smacking the hundred. <laughs> That's right. So it's good luck in there. Uh, yeah, in bring race. it on. Good luck in your race. Yeah. Again, good luck to everyone. Um, I mean, New Zealand. It's going to be a big weekend. And it is. I wonder what they'll do for the twenty-five years. Give them a twenty-five-year anniversary T-shirt. No, but I mean, like, was, well, let's, was there anything special that they're doing? You know, let's have a look in the event week. Twenty-five years. I'm sure there is we're just having a quick squeeze yeah, I'm sure there'll, there'll probably be a book come out something like that I would imagine yeah, yeah. and it'll get plenty of mentions and hopefully they've invited all the winners back they did that and uh, I know they did the same race organisers did that back in uh, the Tauranga Half Ironman really? um, so they had all the winners there not, all, not necessarily all of them did it as an individual race but people like Karen and Scott Balance yeah. um, they were up there doing it, doing a team Antonio Hagen people like that so, really? yeah they, got all the, the, they invited all the winners back Oh, wow. Hopefully they gave him complimentary issues. Oh, yeah, well, well, I wonder if Scott's going to go. Scott Balance. No, Melina. Because yeah. he won in New Zealand. Yeah. Doubt it. <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> you don't think he's going to go? No. It's going to be a long show this one, John. It is. Okay, sponsors. Who are we going to do first? We're going to do Athlinks. Do you want me to stop? He's going to get me to stop. Here we go. Put the hand up and I listen. Here's the stop. And I'm allowed to talk again. We're away. Get up so, my mum. Athlinks.com. Athlinks.com They keep needs. innovating John So the first thing that, uh, that I actually I was on there last night And I was doing Is adding things To your calendar So then Upcoming go, things Upcoming things And you've got an event Coming up in two weeks John or who I have got an event Coming up And I put it in there Last night How much training Have you been doing Not a great deal <laughs> So if anybody wants A scalp It's there for the taking <laughs> At the New Zealand Champs In, uh, in Wellington In two weeks time So we went and saw Our good friend Annette Lee, and she's been good because she's put an upcoming event on here, hasn't she? She has. So if you go and if you basically if you've got a good bunch of friends on there and want to keep in touch with them, you can uh, click on your friends and see if they've added their events. You can see what events have coming up. And she's doing Ironman New Zealand 2009 in Taupo. And so what have we done, John? We've you've, we've clicked on the button that says Send Annette some motivation. And we have, and we've said good luck at Ironman New Zealand 2009 from the boys at I Am Talk. Do you want to put something else in there? Listen um, to this week's show. <laughs> watch out for oyster shells. Okay. She cut a phone on a on a. Uh, How's her oyster? <laughs> not 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 like that. O- I'm gonna put it in there. O y s t e r. Shells. Yeah, that's, that's what I. Just cut a phone on an oyster shell the other day. So anyway, it's one of the cool innovations I put on there. is is a good way for you to see what your mates are up to, and then you can uh, send them a little good luck notice. So you, and we've just sent her one. So good luck in here. Um, so She'll mate. probably get the notice before she hears the show. She will do. Yeah. Nice. So get on there, um, put up, put on the races you've got in your calendar, and then you know that you'll be able to get in there and claim your results. The guys at Athlinks will, will make sure the results go up there, and uh, and then it's an easy way for you to let your, all your mates know what races you're doing, and uh, and you can check out what people are up to as well. And Athlinks are actually innovating even more because their Twitter 
which I know you love, John. Yeah. You, you know what you what you did today thing that yep. they have? If you put that on your profile, then you can go instantly to your Twitter account so your people in your Twitter world can know. What are you doing? Yeah, so you'll probably do that, eh? I will. Yeah. When, I, when, I, when I get that face cream. Tribeyes.com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you keep talking, I'll pull it up. Tribeyes.com. Always specials galore on there. Oh, man. Pre-season specials. There's new new gear coming out now. I mean, there's, it's, it's that time of the year. It's well, that's the thing. If you haven't been, been on there for a while, actually check out the website again because the thing is, is I've got the new product coming out, the new product range for the new seasons, and I've also got some new brands coming on. So, so yeah, so check out. We're actually on the triathlon page, and I've got a lot of triathlon gear. Specials page. Oh, man, again. Try shorts. DeSoto. Did I get it right this week? Yeah. Yes! Got a bit of everything. Got a Zoto, bit of Zoot, bit of Orca. Like half price? Half price. There's plenty of try gear, new season stuff. Make yourself. Woman look. try shorts, 26 bucks. Can't beat it. Try suit, 64 bucks, was 128. Nice. Man, Orca shorts. Nice. It is, it's, it's really cheap, guys. Socky socks, 10 bucks socks. Man. Watches. Watches, you can get a Timex watch. So, 65 bucks there's a lot of stuff on there Melina on the camp I must say John you love your iPods don't you yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> because on the camp on, on Epic Camp Melina said the biggest innovation ever in triathlon <laughs> was the iPod you were loving it weren't whatever. you <laughs> one of the greatest minds in our sport yeah bringing up a really good point but he's got the Timex watch where you can actually control your iPod from your watch uh, I did see that yeah, yeah. and that's, that's really cool and it's quite safe because unless you've got one of those little shuffles which are quite cool for running and stuff you know going around your back and changing your music can be a pain in the bum so I'm sure Tripods probably sell that watch so if you're thinking about getting any gear go to Tripods look man it's really cheap Louis Garneau is that, is that, is that, is that? yep 25 yeah, bucks for a tri-singlet so yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff of uh, tri-gear on here a lot of it half price, if not even less than half price. Try some transitions. You've got a few DVDs, just general is it, try is it just like how to do transitions? I don't know, I haven't seen it. Okay. But anyway, sports Orca bras for bra. the girls, bit of everything. So you go to trybuys.com, remember if you're in the States, it's 200 US dollars. And, and that's stuff on some, if you actually want some more latest season stuff, check out their main pages and go to different sections. They've got, they've got swim, bike, run, off-road and try gear. So mm. it's your one-stop shop for try stuff, John. Trybuys.com. Coffees of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be like the guy in the year we used to use. Oh, uh, we should put that back on. Yeah, we should. So, Coffees of Hawaii, if you're going to look, let's actually choose a flavour, John. Okay. What flavour? Where, where are we going to stores? Buy we're online. Gonna, we're going to talk you through the process. You go buy online. Okay. And you go 100% Kona coffees because we're going to Kona later this year. Yep. And then we well, get we're to choose the of Hawaii, between. Uh, and you notice that the Kona coffee has a blue label. Right. What's peaberry? Don't know. These single formed beans give a more concentrated taste of regular Kona nightingale cupping characteristics. Nice. I'm going to select this one. You keep talking, John. I'm, I'm okay. looking at well, this. You can get it in, uh, in whole bean, whole bean, or whole bean. You can get an eight ounce, two pound, or five pound. It's only $53 for a two pound. Oh, back it up, John. This is pretty exciting. Blind assessment. So obviously someone's put a blind thing on. So this is hardcore, isn't it? It's hardcore. So they put a blind taster on. Now, are you, are you good at blind tests? Uh, if I gave you I've, a can I've of fake Coke, Coke. Coke and Pepsi, I've, I've passed that test. Really? Yep. And, what, and you got it right? Got it right. Nice. And which one did you like better? I prefer Coke. Okay. Pepsi's a bit fizzier. Oh, is this, is this yeah, true? Is it? Yeah, so I haven't done a blind test. Mm. Pepsi's meant to be sweeter as well. Could be. Apparently. But anywho. A superb, a rich aroma with a flagrant wine and fruit-toned... What is that? Bouquet. 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 And a cup 
buttery in the cup buttery tones are balanced with hints of cinnamon and clove oh i think i would like this a european roast adds character yet doesn't mute the complex flavors who should drink it the coffee aficionado who is looking for the quintessential cup of 100 percent kona coffee so instead of going down to your, your regular coffee jaunt... And actually, if you're in England, because I went out for coffee with a friend of mine called Joe yesterday, mm. and she's, she went over to England, and she said, England, coffee you can't get good crap. coffee. It's crap coffee. Yeah. And I'm sure your dollar's doing pretty good. Well, is your dollar any good at the moment? No. Okay. No. Well, <laughs> anyway, but just still, in these tough economic times, you can afford good coffee. <laughs> Spice up your life. Get something a little bit different. Use the, but use the, the code oh, I, I seen this, I some of this stuff over. Use code I am talking you get a good nice big discount. It's all worthwhile. I'm get into this flavoured coffee. Okay. Are you a purist? Just like hardcore coffee or just like hardcore beverage. <laughs> hardcore. Go to coffeesofwai.com. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so again our sponsors are Athlinks.com. Just give them for some love. Trybuys.com. Get a bra. And coffeesofwai.com. Get your pea berry. Is it pea berry? It is pea berry. No, it's pea berry. Okay, John, so... Uh, we're going to set a record for the long show. No, because long show's about an hour and a half. Oh, this is going to push it no, close. No, because we ended like 48 minutes with him. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good long one. It's going close. Yeah, yeah. What have you been up to, the shows. Oh, you got, got in there. Got in there. You got in there. I haven't been doing much, John. <laughs> <laughs> good week to get in there, then. <laughs> uh, what have I been up to? Um, I see your bike's sitting out there in the rain. Is it raining? Oh, it's just spitting. Oh, I didn't know that. I normally put it in the garage. I'm good like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually pretty good with my bike. What have I been up to, John? I have been... Oh, man, I must have been... I went to the movies. Went to a movie called Marley and Me. Right. I have a dilemma, John. Whenever Jennifer Anderson's in movies, she never wears a bra. Really? And you always see her nipples. Okay. And you know what? Admittedly, <laughs> sometimes I don't mind that. But Marley and Me was a family movie. Right. And I didn't really understand why she couldn't put a bra on. <laughs> Email her. Okay, I'm sure she'll respond. JenniferAnderson.com. She's probably on Athlinks. Actually, one thing that I did this morning, I don't know if you've noticed yet, we had a, an email, and I might, it might be mentioning this next week, but I'll mention it now, is um, somebody wrote to us after last week's show when we sort of... Loving the, the high five on. No, oh. no, no. When we, when we, when we talked about um, WTC and whether we give them too hard a time. Yeah. And, and oh, the that was a really actually good point, hey? And they suggested, oh, why don't you contact WTC and see if they can come on so we keep it balanced. What did I do this morning? Email WTC. They had some PR person on the website awaiting a response. We'll see. We've opened the doors. Nice, because they did say, and there was a few comments there, the email was saying, you know, like, you know, you guys, uh, maybe you are fair, maybe you aren't, but you haven't actually given them a chance to respond. And hmm. you know what? We haven't, John, have we? No. So we're pulling our socks up on that one. I did email um, Ben Ferrick ages ago. Yeah. He didn't respond. No. But my question, go back to Jennifer Anderson's nipples. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's inappropriate in a family movie? I guess it is a lot of yeah. That was a little bit inappropriate, I thought. Yeah, yeah. The other question I have, John, would you cry in a family movie? I don't cry in movies. Really? No. Have you ever? I think it's That'd a be yes. telling. That'd be really? telling. What yeah. movie? Just it's give me a hint. Cool Runnings? Because Cool Runnings was pretty sad at the end. Yeah, no. It wasn't Cool Runnings. No. no. Okay. What do you got on for the rest of the week, John? What have I got on this week? Uh, I've got to do a little bit of biking this week, a little bit of high-intensity biking. Yep. It's required. I'll join you, but now I'm running. Right. Yeah. Mm, so, and yeah. uh, other than that... Another good weekend with some of my athletes performing very well. One of my young fellas uh, had a good race in Australia, so everybody's doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in Malaysia, some good results there. Well, David Craig was racing over there. Oh, how'd he go? 9.51, which wow, I thought was pretty work. solid nice. for, uh, for over there. How is so, old David Craig? I haven't heard from him in a while. He's good. Is he? Mr. Consistency. Mr. Consistency. He's always good for a laugh, old David Craig, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's always good for a laugh. So, Anything uh, else? 
that. You know what I'm going to do this week, John? I'm going to put a photo of the art. Did I show you my art that Joe and I did last no, week? No, you didn't. I was deeply, deeply... Honestly, upset. honestly, we could almost sell it and probably mm. retire mm. because it is a masterpiece. So this week on our website, with the photo of the week is going to be Joe and Bevan's art. Mm. If you're going to get copies of Woman's Day, look out for... You made it to Woman's I don't, Day. I don't, I don't know if I'll make it or not. I don't know where, which issue it's going to be in. But this, oh, okay. You wait a second. You can tell this story. This is Bob Babbitt was was talking a bit before about uh, Americans, you know, just covering three or four sports. But to, to give you an example of how big... Wait, wait, wait a second. Let's give a bit of backstory. What did you do last weekend, John? I, I went to Bevan Doherty's wedding. Oh, mate, you were in, I didn't get an invite. No, you I got the same name. That's right. Man, Make the cut. I've only met him once in Italy, but... But, but anyway, um, this is how big, you know, the, the triathletes are in New Zealand. He's got Women's Day, which is probably one of the, the three... It's got like a Hello magazine or... Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a woman's. But it, very big, very popular. Yeah. These guys pay for triathletes' weddings to do the do the photography yeah. and, and come along and get the rights for that wedding. So it's um, it just goes to show how big triathletes are in New Zealand and how much coverage they get. So, John, did you manage to scheme yourself into a photo? Well, uh, there was a, she was taking plenty of photos, but I, I think it's highly unlikely unless they put one big group photo that I'm going to get in there. But uh, we'll, we'll they may do that. They yeah. may do that. If you make it to Women's Day, I was on the, you're going to be a higher class celebrity than me. I was on the left hand side because at the moment I think I was in the paper last week, so I think I'm kind of just a little bit. But you were on the news. I was on one news. Yeah, actually, you're you're above me at the yeah. moment. Yeah, I've got that actually at home. The, the footage we can really? uh, we can put you can bring it, it around. I was on three news, but three's yeah, and it was the breakfast stuff as well. Yeah, it's not quite the same. No, anymore, obviously, it breaks my heart. Just name drop. Who was at the wedding? It was a few big names. It was uh, Hamish Carter was there. Yep. Craig, Craig Alexander was there. Yep. Uh, Chris Gimmel was one of the groomsmen. Um, we went out for a ninety-minute run with the boys in the morning. It was quite funny. There was like um, probably about twenty of us to start, and it whittled down to about five at the end. Oh, really? <laughs> so that was quite fun. A ninety-minute run was it hardcore? Yeah. Uh, no, it was just a, a long, steady run. Did you feel you had to maintain just because you were with the boys? I was, you know? I was sitting on the front. <laughs> I'm not maybe getting on, but I'm not, I'm not that. Tell you what, mate, you should get some facial care. Brett Whiteley, I gave Brett Whiteley a telling off about that. <laughs> anyway, we're rambling a bit. Okay, here we go. Next week's show, uh, M's in town this week. I may pull over M for an interview. Okay, bring it on. Iron rusts. I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.